We have two scripture readings this morning. First from Exodus 40, verses 33 through 35, and then from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Exodus 40, verses 33 through 35. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then from Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, if, if you don't know, I, I'm a guy who really likes history. Uh, I really love old things, um, and I love church history, so I love old uh, Christian things uh, even more than like other old things, especially old Christian things. And so I, I'm amazed, I think, at the you know, cathedrals and, and churches that were built throughout history. Um, I, I have loved, coming from, a, from a, 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 the last city I was in was, is not that old, coming to a place uh, around here where there are lots of old and historic buildings and churches. And, and there are some beautiful churches in this area. If you go to, you know, by, by the river in Rockford, I've loved getting to see some of those beautiful old churches and, and going into Chicago and stuff like that. I, I, I've had the privilege of going and, and getting to visit some of the, uh, even worshiping in some of the, the what I would call the coolest churches and cathedrals in the world. I've got a couple of pictures of ones that I've had the, the opportunity to go to. Has anyone ever been to this one? Do you recognize? Probably a couple of you have. This is the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Uh, the idea for it was even created by George Washington. And so as he laid out the, the plans for the city of D.C., we needed a National Cathedral in his mind. It's still kind of being built. It's even after all this time, they're still working on it. Let's see, what's the next one? Okay, so this one's my favorite, as you have heard probably before. This is Westminster Abbey. You can see Big Ben over there on the left of the screen. Uh, so like, you know, the British House of Commons is just behind it. Um, this is where, you know, a lot of kings and queens uh, are, uh, you know, take their, their vows to the throne. A lot of them have their funerals here. Uh, many are buried inside that church. Um, it's truly, truly probably my favorite uh, building, and, and, and I did get to worship in, in that building one time. Um, really an amazing, am amazing place. Okay, this one, does anybody, oh, sorry, did anybody, has anybody else been to Westminster? Just curious, a couple of you guys. Okay, cool. Uh, this one is in Dublin, sorry, Dublin, not <laughs> Dublin, Ireland. Uh, anybody know this one? It's called Christ Church, uh, and it's a really, really old one. It's not quite as fancy, but it's, it's massive. The picture doesn't really do it justice. 
that's St. Patrick's. That's uh, the church that was built where uh, St. Patrick supposedly baptized the very first convert uh, in Europe, uh, in, in Ireland. Some, probably more of you have been to this one. Who, what is this one? Yeah, this is also St. Patrick's, but it's in New York City. It's weird because it's surrounded by giant buildings, but it's giant itself. Um, so I've, I've been able to go into that one. This is the inside of Christ Church in Dublin. So I told you it's one of the oldest, uh, but it is, um, I just thought, such a neat, neat place. I got to go and have a, do a prayer service in, in that one. Oh, okay, hang on. Don't look at those just quite yet. Because <laughs> there's still a few that are on my list of places that I want to go, of cathedrals that I want to see. This one is in... I, I don't do well with French, but it's in Chartres. Is that how you say that? I'm so bad. Say it again. Chartres, France, uh, considered one of the most magnificent cathedrals in the world. Many say this is the most beautiful cathedral or church in the world. This is in Milan. I can't remember the name because I don't speak Italian. But that one is, is just absolutely beautiful. This one is probably number one on my list. This would be the first one I would pick if I could. Does anybody know where this is? This is in Cologne. This is in Germany. Uh, it took over 600 years to build this one. Many consider it to be the biggest debate about tallest, depending on how you count the spires and yada yada. Um, that one is incredible. Uh, so that's the, the, uh, the Cologne Cathedral in, in Cologne, Germany. You guys know this one, right? Yeah, this is, this is uh, Notre Dame in Paris which unfortunately, you know, caught on fire and they're in the process of trying to rebuild it. It probably won't ever be like what it originally was. One of the, one of the true great cathedrals of the world. This is a new one. This is one actually, as you can see, the cranes is still being built. Anybody know where this is? Yeah, it's in Spain. Uh, it is called the, I think, Sagrada Familia or Sacred Family. It will be the largest cathedral in the world when it's finished. Um, it's really weird looking if you look at all the different sides of it. It's, it's kind of a contemporary take on a cathedral. Anybody know where this one is? This one's a fairly new one as well. It's in, how do you say, Reykjavik Rik- in Iceland? Uh, they built it to look like uh, ice in a volcano. And all. Two, it's a Lutheran church, but uh, an, a one that I would love to see at some point in my life. So, I, I love the history of all of these buildings and thinking about them. And I love thinking, uh, you know, uh, getting to go where kings and queens have walked uh, and where, where people for centuries have come to worship the same God. And I also love that they are imperfect attempts of humans to, to try to honor and worship God. How, how do you build a building where you would worship God? God, right, to try to create a building that is worthy of God. And some of people spent 600 years trying to do that. What, what church, what basilica, what temple could be worthy of such an honor? That's our question for this morning. So let's, let's pray together. Father, would you teach us through your word this morning? May we have a new appreciation of Christ because of your scriptures. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage for this morning is in John chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. We read John 2, 1 through 11 uh, last week, which was the story of the wedding at Cana. 
and turning water into wine, which is the first of the signs, uh, John says, of, of Jesus in the book of John. Verse 12. After this, which is the wedding, uh, he went down to, Caper- to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changer sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. So last week we started a series on the signs of Jesus in the book of John. Uh, Jesus did some things during his time uh, that John says were, were more than just miracles. They were more than just physical acts. That uh, They were signs. And, and we learned last week that signs are simply physical illustrations of a spiritual principle. Physical illustrations of a spiritual principle. And so this, this morning we are going to look at the second sign of Jesus, which is the cleansing of the temple. As we do that, I want to start by telling you a little bit more about the temple and, and, and why this was such a big deal, why this story was such a big deal for everyone involved. The original temple was built by Solomon in nine, or completed in 957 B.C., so, you know, a thousand years before Jesus. And it stood for almost 400 years. Uh, it was destroyed in 586 B.C. We've, we've mentioned that before. And there was a second, what we would call a rebuilt temple in, in 516, 70 years uh, after it was destroyed. Some people call that Ezra's temple or Zerubbabel's temple. It's easier just to call it the second temple. Um, and, and this temple, the poor thing, had, had a lot of trouble. <laughs> it went through a lot of bad, bad guys trying to you know, tear it down and beat it up and and, and, and so by the time you get to the first century B.C., uh, it was in pretty rough shape. It had been desecrated. It had, all kinds of things had happened to it. And so the Roman governor of that time, his name was Herod the Great, because he's got humility. Um, Herod decides, hey, I'll do this for you Jews. If, you'll, if we can all get along, I'll build you a temple. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll restore, I'll rebuild this thing for you guys. And so this is the version that we call Herod's Temple, and it is the one that Jesus is going to be cleansing uh, in our story. The rebuilding started in 19 B.C., 19 B.C., and, and so when the Jews say that it has been, they've been building on it for 46 years, we now know, if you do the math through all the different uh, changes in time, we're talking about 27 A.D. So this would be the beginning of Jesus' ministry, 27 A.D., now, the, the reason that it has taken 46 years is that Herod's temple was an expansion of the original Solomon's temple. Um, and, and so, you know, to kind of help you think through the difference, the, the original footprint of Solomon's temple was about 17 acres. 
about 17 acres. That's, that's the amount of space that the original temple took up. Herod's temple, 35 acres. So if you guys have a 40-acre parcel of land, just know that's, the, that's basically the size we're talking about the, of, the, of the footprint of the temple itself. And so um, the dimensions of, of the land are about 1,000 feet by 1,500 feet. 1,000 feet by 1,500. And so I've got a, a picture of what, uh, a couple of pictures I want to show you of what it what it would have looked like. So, so this is actually in Jerusalem. There's a model of what the old city of Jerusalem would have looked like. And so you can see the Temple Mount, as they call it. Uh, you can see it's up elevated. It took a really long time for them to get that much dirt and stone into place to even lay the foundation of this thing. And then you can see these walls were huge. Um, you know, that's kind of it in compared to the old city. Can we go to the next one? So this is, this is the, same, the same model, but a little bit zoomed in. I want you to kind of get a good, good picture uh, of this thing. And so that's what we would have called uh, uh, Herod's temple. Uh, up at the top right, you can see kind of four little towers. That would have been the Roman fortress that was attached to it uh, that they had built. And so that's where the soldiers would have stayed and, and would have lived. Um, what some say was the most amazing feature was the, was the thing over on the left, the, the, um, the, they call it the Royal Stoa. And so that's got that red roof. It had, so remember I told you the dimensions were 1,000 feet by 1,500 feet. That thing runs the whole length of it, which some, that makes it a 1,000 foot long building uh, supported by these giant columns. There's, there's, you can kind of see there have been four rows of columns and three, you know, middle things. And so that was... Uh, the royal stoa. It was con- kind of the most beautiful and most amazing uh, part of the whole thing. But you can see columns around all of it. What is actually the temple is the middle piece, right? And, and so all the rest is just kind of filler, if you will, of, of, the, of the important part, which was that, that main building there. And so I've kind of got a little diagram that I think will help uh, as we look at this. And so you can see that the most of the ground is, is what we would have called, what they would have called the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles is where anyone who believed in God but wasn't of Jewish birth or heritage could be. So the court of the Gentiles, anybody could be there if they, if they believed in God and wanted to make an offering and all that kind of stuff. If you, ha- if you wanted to be, a, if you were a Jew, to go any further, you would go inside that, there was kind of a, that white looking perimeter, and inside... And then there, what they called the women's court, that's as far as women could go. And then there was a men's court kind of through that gate. And then there would have been a courtyard that only priests could have gone to. And then inside of that is what you actually see there is the temple building. And inside of that would have been the Holy of Holies, right? The, the place that only the, priest, the high priest could go once a year to make the, the offering on behalf of the people. So um, that's kind of what we have uh, through all of that. Okay, and I've got one more picture that I think is pretty cool as well. Um, this is actually uh, one of the, the artifacts, if you like archaeology, this is one of the artifacts from the temple. Uh, and this was a warning sign. This was at the court of the Gentiles, which is relevant for this morning. Uh, and basically it says, warning, if you're a Gentile, don't come any further. So that, where that wall would be, they were, these signs were up. And so this was an original sign that we found. And it says, look, you will forfeit your life. If you come through this and you're not a Jew, your life has been forfeit, essentially. That's, that's what that sign says. Okay. 
Can we go back to that label picture one more time? Yeah, right there. Okay, so as Jesus is coming to cleanse the temple, I want you to know that he is in the court of the Gentiles. So that's as far as this story is going to go today. Um, he's in this big outer court. And, and when you think of, of it, um, think about like an open-air market, like a bazaar or something like that, because it would have been filled. They said 400,000 people would often be inside the court of the Gentiles. We're talking about a lot of people. It would have been a busy area, and there was a lot happening. Um, there would have been merchants and all kinds of, you know, tables and things go, taking, taking place. And so, um, so when we talk about Jesus cleansing the temple— you know, given the, the structure and the size that we're talking about and the number of people, they don't think that Jesus, like, cleansed and got rid of everything. He wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, we're talking probably just a section where he saw this, this, um, this happening. And so um, we also have in the other Gospels another story of this. So we think there were two temple cleansing. This is the first one. This is the beginning of his ministry, and John writes about it. And then there's one in the last week of his life, uh, what we call the Passion Week, that he's going to do the same thing, okay? Um, and so what's happening here is that everyone at Passover had to come to the temple, and they had to bring a sacrifice. Anyone who was a Jew, anyone who followed God had to bring a sacrifice. And so hundreds of thousands of people every year would come to this place for the Passover. And, and people were allowed to bring their own animals, but here's the catch— the merchants and the priests had figured out a brilliant system. Your animal had to be approved. So you could bring your own sheep or goat or ram or whatever, but it had to be approved. And guess what? They never approved anybody's outside animals. So here you're going to lug this thing for a couple hundred miles, bring it in to sacrifice, and they go, oh, sorry, no, that's got a blemish. It doesn't count. You can't use that one. So people just said, well, forget it. We'll just buy the ones that they've already approved. And so that's what we have here. Um, so this is essentially a livestock auction, a livestock market inside the court of the Gentiles. Um, and, and, and so, you know, if you've ever gone and bought a movie at the popcorn, you know you're a captive audience. Where else are you going to get popcorn? You've got to pay the price no matter what. If it's $15 for a bucket of popcorn, you've got to pay it if you want popcorn. And that's what's happening here. So you would pay a, a terrible amount for whatever animal you would have to offer as a sacrifice. And they were, they were up in the prices on that. They were, they were kind of being dishonest in that. And then there was another problem, which is the temple only would take a certain type of coin. Um, and so you had to come in and you had to exchange your money for temple money. So think of if you've ever been to the fair, right, and you go and you give them your cash and they give you these little, you know, fair fair coins or fair tickets. That's, that's kind of what we have. Except for the exchange rate was awful. They say it was as high as like 15%, just an absolute ripoff. And, but you, ha- you didn't have a choice, right? What else are you going to do? You had to present these offerings. You had to buy these animals. And, and so they were making money on money. Was hundreds of thousands of people came in. So you can imagine Jesus' disgust as he comes into the temple, the house of his father, and he's going to have what we would call righteous anger. His, he's angry that people are disrespecting the temple like this. And he makes a whip. Uh, and many think he makes a whip so that he can drive the animals. So just imagine, you know, him push, driving sheep and goats and all the things out of this area. And, you know, this kind of petting zoo looking 
giant pens and he's clearing the temple with these whips and there's animals running all over the place. I mean, this is a truly chaotic mess. Quite the commotion. And then he starts overturning the table of the money changers. He says, you were ripping people off. This was not the design. This is not what the temple was supposed to look like. So to me, this is where the story gets interesting. You can imagine the commotion. You can imagine the leaders who are starting to want to get to the bottom of this. What is happening? Who is doing all of this? And here's Jesus. He's not a priest. He's not an official. He's just a guy in their eyes. He's just a guy. And so they're going to say, hey, what's your authority? By what sign are you doing all of this? Meaning, prove your authority to do what you're doing. Where's your authority? Prove it. And his answer to them is, is rather odd. It's not the answer they're expecting. He says, well, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the, the size of this thing, 35 acres, yeah, whatever. Right? That's obviously a, a crazy person talking. There's, there's no point to any of this. That giant place couldn't be destroyed, much less rebuilt. And John tells us that Jesus is talking about his body, and the disciples figure it out after he was resurrected. They said, oh, now we get what he was saying. He was fulfilling Scripture. So, th- so that's our story, okay? That's the, the simple story of this. Um, what was he trying to say? What's the physical illustration of a spiritual principle? First, let's start with the presence of God. We need to go back to our first Old Testament passage as we begin that question. Remember that in both the tabernacle and in the temple, uh, God allowed his glory to inhabit the temple. His glory could be found in the Holy of Holies. Now, after the the first temple is destroyed in 586, we're never told that his glory returns to the temple. There's a a rebuilt one, right, we talked about in 516. We never hear about it or Herod's temple having the glory of the Lord in it. But they remember what it was. They remember what it was supposed to be like. And so they still treasure the temple, even though we don't believe he ever said his his, uh, glory was going to fill that temple again. It just was never the same. It was never the same. But then, if you remember, uh, uh, there was this story that we studied uh, the Sunday after Christmas in Luke 2, when Simeon has been living in the temple. He spends his whole life waiting for God's glory to return. He says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, remember? And, and he sees Jesus in the temple, and what does he say? He says, God, you have returned your glory to Israel finally after all this time. He sees Jesus and he says, the glory of the Lord has returned finally to the temple. Simeon saw it and he got it. And so this is the first thing that I want to say. And that Jesus is telling people, God's glory is right before you. Standing right before all of you. That's what he's telling these people in this story. It has nothing to do with this building. The the glory of the Lord is standing right in front of you. The next thing I want to say is is probably the most obvious, because, you know, John actually tells us, and it's the most important. 
he tells us that he will return on the third day. And, and, and so this relates to his role as the high priest of the temple. He is the one who is going to make the offering for the guilt of the people. He will be both the sacrifice and the priest on behalf of the people. He's, he's foretelling, he's prophesying his, his role here. And, and it's amazing, uh, you know, it's an amazing uh, contrast as you can just imagine this busy marketplace with animals running around and people selling and, you know, priests sacrificing and all this practice this imperfect, even corrupt practice. People trying to appease God with a broken system. Hundreds of thousands of people trying to appease God in this broken system. And Jesus is saying, I promise I'm going to fix this. I'm the way that's going to fix all of this broken system. It's me. Okay, next thing is recognize that Jesus is saying he is the temple. One of, one of the things that blows my mind in Scripture is at the very end uh, of the Bible in Revelation 21, 22. And, and it's John again, the same John who's writing here. And, and he's, he's looking into a realm that he cannot grasp at the very end of all things. He can't grapple with all that's taking place. And John says this. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple." Whoa. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Why? Because Jesus is now the true temple. That's what he's saying here. You, you may hear, you know, if you read the news and stuff, Israel has all these plans to someday, you know, get rid of the Dome of the Rock that's at the, on, the, you know, the, on the Temple Mount, and, and they're going to rebuild the temple. And people ask me about, you know, what I think about all that stuff. And I'll just say there are a million other people smarter than me that have different theories. And, 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 and you can read all of that of what you think is going to happen and all that. That's fine. But here's what I do know. At the end of all things in Revelation 21, there will not be a temple in eternity. Jesus is the temple. We'll not go to a building anymore to worship God. Jesus will be the temple. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing. So, so practically speaking for us then, that means sanctuaries and basilicas and temples, they don't matter. Now, I, I have to admit, I can still think they're awesome. I can admire the structures, and I, I can admire their attempts to, to build a building as an offering, as an imperfect attempt to show God's glory. You know, these people built these buildings so people could say, wow, the God they worship must be amazing if, if they're going to do that in that building. But guess what? Big, beautiful buildings don't house the glory of God. They can't. They're not worthy. They can't do it. Jesus does. Only Jesus houses the glory of God. So if you want to meet God, meet Jesus. That's as simply as we can put it this morning. If you want to meet God and see his glory, you've got to meet Jesus. Don't go to a special building for that anymore. I learned this lesson uh, on the very trip that I got to go to my favorite place, which is Westminster Abbey. 
And you see, that was just a stop on their way to a, a longer, more important tr- mission trip. I was, I was sent uh, to Kenya to get to go train pastors. And uh, so, so really a, a cool opportunity. And, and um, so we traveled all over the, the country of Kenya and got to visit different pastors. And we had a conference and all kinds of things. But, but on one of the days, we got to go and visit one of the pastors uh, that we would be training in, in, his, in his area, in his, in his place. And, and so we were driven to the remote uh, area in the hills of a little village called Lycone. And it was there that we encountered this man who was a pastor of four different congregations and little, I wouldn't even call them villages. It's hard to even call them that. But. And so he, 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 his job, he walked between all those villages. Every day he would just walk um, and he would, he would teach, he would pastor, he would go help wherever help was needed. That was just his job all day long. That's what he did. And so on our last stop, we were driving around this area he normally walks, but he said, oh, there's this place I'm really excited I got to show you. And it was a, a brand new church. It's a brand new church. See, our, our, the church that had sent us had been sponsoring his efforts, and, and he had used that money to be able to build a brand new building. And, and so as we pulled up, he's been bragging about this new church building. Let me just say I was less than um, overwhelmed. And, and so here's a picture. Here's a picture of it. Um, it, it wasn't very big. It was probably about the size of, you know, kind of this, this elevated part up here. It was, it was probably about that size. Um, As we stood in this, this building that, that many of us would call just like a glorified mowing shed. Let's, I'll just be really honest with you. I mean, it's just got the tin roof and it's, you know, it doesn't even have walls. I mean, if it rains, it's, it's, it can get inside. It, it was not, you wouldn't even want to put your lawnmower in this place, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Um, this man proudly talks about this, this church and, 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 and he starts to talk about how, how people have, have come and, and that he's, he's making disciples, and people are coming to know Jesus, and, and, and he's just so excited about this, this building. And, and what was more is he told his people that Americans are going to be coming, and you should, you know, come and see these Americans, which was, you know, so, such an overwhelming experience. But they showed up in their very best outfits. And so here's a picture of and I wish I could maybe zoom it in a little bit better, but not one of them's wearing shoes, by the way. They're in their best outfits. You can see torn T-shirts, and, you know, some of them are dressed pretty nice. And uh, if you see on the very far right, there's a, it's an old woman, and she's got the, like, black and green top and the purple uh, skirt, I guess you would call it. Um, they didn't know how old she was. They said she's got to be 100. I mean, she didn't know how old she was. That's how old she was. She had no idea. But she had come to know Jesus. And so they're standing proudly. The guy in the black shirt is the pastor. And, and this is his, you know, new congregation. And, um, and, and uh, so, you know, we sat with them and we pr- prayed with them and met and celebrated this building. And, and, um, and he, he just afterwards said, hey, would you continue praying for my little congregation because we've been under so much attack. Um, and so I want to show you the next picture. So, so right outside the building, right outside, if you would look to the right out of that window, you would just see this. And, and it's, you know, a, a beautiful area, but down in that, 
tree line, kind of right in the middle of the picture, he said, there's an old witch that lives down there. And she's really unhappy that we've built a church on this hill. And she does all kinds, I won't get into all the details, but she did all kinds of awful things uh, to try and put curses on this church. And so they said, she's always down there. She's always, you know, sacrificing stuff and doing weird things and putting curses on on me and our people and this church building. And you and I don't deal with this kind of stuff, right? I mean, this was new territory for me. and just kind of in my bewilderment, a truth hit me. The, the, the same truth that should have hit the people as they heard Jesus talking as a sign of cleansing the temple. I realized that Jesus was in that little hut. That little hut that they call a church. Jesus was there just in the same way as four days before I had been in the most marvelous building in Europe, I think, Westminster Abbey. The same Jesus was just as much in that building. He's just as much with those people. He is the temple. These uneducated Kenyans knew God's glory just like all the kings and queens who had worshipped at Westminster. They are equals. They're not second-class members of God's church. They are equals. They're equal worshipers at the temple of God, which is Jesus. And why do you ask that? And I would say if you flip your Bible another page or two, you you get to this amazing story of the woman at the well in John 4, where where they're having this conversation, and you remember in their conversation, he kind of knows about her and some stuff she didn't expect, and she's kind of overwhelmed, and she changes the subject. And she says, well, you know, sounds like you kind of know what you're talking about with religion, where do you think we should worship? Should we worship here on this mountain, which was called Mount Gerizim? Or do you think we should worship like you Jews in Jerusalem? Where, where are we supposed to worship? And, and Jesus says, it doesn't matter. Those, those mountains are irrelevant now. Because this day has coming and has come. Well, God wants worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter how beautiful the building is. But worship in spirit and in truth. And so you and I today, we came into this building, and I love this building. It's never going to be mentioned on any historic, you know, slideshow of most beautiful sanctuaries or historic cathedrals in the world. It's just not. But guess what? God has worshipped here. Jesus is the temple here in this place. And and if you want to worship God, you don't even have to come into this building. You just need Jesus because Jesus is the temple. And and you can worship at the temple of Christ while you're at work, while you're at home, while you're in your car. God's presence can be found now. It's not in the Holy of Holies. It's not off limits, but except to the chief high priest. It's welcomed and, and, and offered to you and I in Christ. And he welcomes all who will come to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, it's amazing to know that you are here. Jesus is in our midst. And so we are worshiping at the temple. And, and that points forward to a day when we will be in eternity with you and there won't be a need for any building. We will be in the presence of Christ.
Father, thank you that we can see your glory through the saving work of Jesus that made it possible for any of us to come to you. Father, always remind us of that. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.